Genesis 19:29 And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Welcome to Walking Through the Book. I'm Stephen McCreary. I'm Brian Bales. And we want to talk to you about the Bible. Specifically, we want to talk to you today about Genesis chapter 19. Uh, At Walking Through the Book, we want to emphasize Bible study in a way that maybe you don't really see very often. In a way that we want to appreciate the Bible for what it is. We want to encourage Bible reading And we want to demonstrate proper and responsible study of the Bible and emphasize what the text says, no more and no less. That's our purpose in doing this podcast. And we hope that you will uh, join in our discussion. Here are some ways you can get in touch with us. You can, of course, email us at walkingthroughthebook at protonmail.com. And we encourage you to email us there if you have any ideas for the show, any questions about what we're doing or why we're doing it. Uh, or if you disagree with some things that we're saying, we certainly want to talk about that. Uh, and we're really, really thankful for th- those interactions especially. And uh, if you'd like to go to the website this podcast is hosted at, it's NorthColumbusChristians.com. That's the website of the uh, congregation that I work with, the North Columbus Church of Christ in Columbus, Mississippi. Uh, please go to that website if you can, and Bryant will have uh, the website of the congregation he's working at. Bryant, why don't you introduce yourself and let us know a little bit about how the program is going to go. Yeah, so again, um, I'm Bryant Bales, and I work with the uh, Garden City Church of Christ in Savannah, Georgia. And if you'd want to check out that website uh, for the congregation, it's gardencitycoc.org. Um, and, uh, what we're, what we're doing with walking through the book, uh, just like you said, Stephen is, is kind of rare, um, but it's really very simple and it's a simple approach to Bible study. Um, all we're doing is we're just reading, uh, through the Bible chapter by chapter and just thinking about what the text says and trying to think about it in a way that's consistent with it coming from, uh, the origin of God himself. And we're approaching God's word, assuming that there are uh, lessons that God has intended for us to learn that are relevant for us today. So the way that we do this is uh, we start with just, um, we do a reading depending on uh, the day. Uh, that might be a chapter or, you know, two or three. And after the, the reading, we just make general observations of things that stuck out to us, whether it's just a, a point or maybe something we haven't noticed before. We talk about that, and then we look at maybe themes and how uh, some of the things in the reading uh, relate to the bigger context of the Bible, and how we can see maybe um, some threads uh, even go into the New Testament and, and connect into the New Covenant in Christ and with the Church. And in application, we, we try to end every uh, study looking at how 
these accounts that we're reading bear relevant applications for us today. Um, so we always try to end trying to think about how can we make this more personal in our lives. And there's there's always something that we can find uh, that 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 is something we can take as a point of application, even if it's not a direct command that we see. Um, we can learn from the examples of the people involved, but even more than that, really what we're reading is God's dealing with people. And so oftentimes, even when uh, the people in these accounts make the wrong decisions um, or um, we don't we don't see necessarily um, actions that we can learn from directly, what, what we can always learn from is God's character that's revealed through all of these things. And I think those are those are the greatest points of application is is really what we're learning is how to be like God through the things that are in his word. Amen. Very well said. All right. Uh, well, let's get into our reading. And Bryant will be reading out of Genesis 19 in the New King James Version, correct? Yes, sir. Genesis chapter 19. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Hear now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night, and wash your feet, then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please, let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. Then they said, This one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city? Take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. 
but to his sons-in-law he seemed to be joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass, when they had brought them outside, that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, Please, no, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of this city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain, and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Then Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar. And he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on the earth to come into us as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. It happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, and you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. The fact that this place is is a place where you can go into, and as a stranger, if you're good-looking enough, 
there will be people of the same sex that will demand to have relations right. with you. I mean, seriously. Um, and I think there's a lot that that speaks to, right? Um, to the idea of a lack of restraint, a lack of control, um, of any kind of decency. Uh, and, and, and I don't think, you know, this is the thing where, this is where I have an issue when people, you know, say things are terrible right now, they're the worst they've ever been, and they just keep getting worse and worse. It's this mm. worldview that says that this is the worst it's ever been, and it keeps getting worse, and it's just this on downward spiral down. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe I just haven't been around the world enough, but I don't know of very many places in the world that that something like this could happen mm. to somebody. Uh, that you go into this town, and as a stranger, there are going to be these people who demand to be sexually intimate with you. Um, that's that's pretty serious evil. Um, that is that that reveals mindsets that you know no holds barred, and and. But but of course there's some there's some aspects there that that we want to develop throughout throughout this episode. But um, but how you know we wrestle with these questions? How could God have let a city like this even mm. exist? Um, and and maybe I'm kind of I'm kind of being harsh out the bat, right? Because a lot of people in the world will use Sodom and Gomorrah almost as, as an example that. This is why the God of the Bible is mean and hateful and vengeful and wrong, you know, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. But you've got to be willing to see the problem. You, you know, so often what we have today is a, a lack of willingness to really look at the problem and, and, and see what really the problem is. Um I have no doubt that the people of this town didn't mm. think twice about what they wanted and their thirst for it to the point that even when Lot offers his daughters, and again, we'll look we'll look more at that down the road, but even when he offers his daughters, that's not mm. what they want. Mm. They're, they're, they're focused on this misdeed. Um, you know, we've already seen Abraham plead with God concerning Sodom and just sort of talk to him progressively and say, you know, what's it going to take mm-hmm. to save this city? You know, how many righteous can there still be mm-hmm. and you not destroy it? And of course, God has a totally mm-hmm. different plan. Uh, he's going to get, he's going to get Lot, get Lot and his family out. No, I think, I think those are, those are great points because, you know, like amidst like, you know, you get so familiar with stories like this that, you know, a danger for me is to not just be amazed at the story itself. You know, I mean, this is just incredible. Just the wickedness of Sodom, Lot's presence there, angels being sent to Lot, you know, and like you said, his offering his daughters is just morbid and strange and then you know just how this all plays out with the angels grabbing them and the people are struck blind and 
and then fire rains out of heaven. I mean, man, I mean, no matter how many times you get familiar with that, I mean, if anything, it should be all the more, it should be more and more amazing the more visual it becomes, you know, the more real it becomes that this, this was probably a very industrious and rich city or cities and fire literally came out of the sky and just utterly burnt up everything everything that constituted these cities and the land around them you know and you just imagine just the 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 violence of that that sight and just the sound of it and the smell of it um you know and then and then when lot comes out of the city and they go in this cave and his daughters you know get their dad drunk so that they can so that they can have relations with him and think that nobody else is alive anymore to preserve their lineage. You know, just the the whole thing is just, you know, we just we just can't get used to the story itself and how shocking every aspect of this is. And it's just amazing. Um, every part of this, you know, every part of this story is is just very um, very striking. It's incredible. And there there are unsettling aspects to it right. all throughout, yeah. like you say. Um, you know, an interesting, interesting thing that you, when you, when you read and you understand where this place was likely, um, if, if what, you know, scholars and archaeologists think is true about where Sodom and Gomorrah was, you can actually see that the land there is basically barren, um, it, it it's it it's a place that especially in Moses' time they would have been able to look and see this place that God destroyed. Um, and so again, I I do think there's an aspect of Genesis. Uh, you know, we we're talking about this in in big you know Bible context things, but we always have to remember who the author is, um, who the author is writing to. And so I think there is a benefit for the children of Israel to to see this story, um, and we'll 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 talk a little bit more in the next section about how that all connects. But yeah, absolutely, you see these continued issues, and of course, what's the big the big problem that we look back and we try to, uh, you know, force this morality back on this story and say what was wrong with Lot's wife looking back? I mean, you know. And, and and people try to uh, bring that up sometimes as if that's just this, you know, how could God let that happen? But, you know, we go back and we understand that, that you know, they're told to get out. And, you know, take your wife, get out of the city, um, brought them outside of the city. And he says plainly, don't look behind you or stay anywhere on the plane. And I wonder, you know, I don't know if there's anything big or significant about her turning it into a pillar of salt of, uh, of his wife looking back. Uh, and that's really what I'm talking about here, um, of his wife looking back and being turned into a pillar of, of salt. Um, but, I mean, it, it's just really odd. Just a lot of odd things, I guess you'd yeah. say. Well, and it's, it's interesting speaking of, speaking of odd Something I was just thinking about is back in the beginning, uh, Lot shows Abraham, uh, not Abraham, Lot shows the angels uh, 
the same hospitality that Abraham had just shown them, you know, just a little bit earlier. And what's interesting about that, though, isn't just that he did that. I think it shows this deep longing to show kindness in Lot. And it's interesting, the people of the city don't seem like they wanted Lot's kindness at all. Uh, And that may have been one of the most difficult things about being in Sodom is there was no opportunity to exercise kindness. And I guess this might be overstepping into, into themes, but you know, it's, 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 it's interesting how that really is, is God's character that just to have us exist and him exist at the same time, just, that's not, that's not enough. You know, God is seeking desperately to show us kindness. So I just, I think it's interesting that in the beginning of the chapter, you know, Lot shows this extraordinary hospitality to the angels. You know, just like Abraham called the angels Lord, Lot calls them Lord. Just like Abraham called himself their servant, Lot calls himself their servant. Just like Abraham wouldn't take no for an answer, Lot wouldn't take no for an answer. You know, but then you see that the people, the people of Sodom are so hostile against Lot. And I think it helps justify Lot's righteousness in the beginning. You know, God gives us opportunity to see Lot's heart before anything else. And I just think that's so important. Hmm. Very well said. I mean, so often part of the problem with reaching out to people who have no interest in, for example, biblical things is this latent hostility. Mm, mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's this kind of hostility that, that kind of says, you know, I'm not listening to this. I'm not going along with this. There is a complete closed minded attitude toward that. Right. And I think it's something that we have to, you know, again, maybe we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more later on. But um, but how could how could this happen? You know, I mean, how how could it get to this point where Lot? I mean, in Genesis, uh, I guess I guess maybe I'm looking at this in a different way, and we'll we'll, we'll look at this a little bit more uh, in the next section. But Lot is someone who chose the best place, but it it. it ended him up and it, it sent him to a place that was actually terrible for his family and terrible for his family situation. And even when he tries to get his family together and, and get going, uh, his sons-in-law think he's joking. Mm-hmm. And so even mobilizing his family to get out of there becomes this big issue to the point that the angels have to push them out. Uh, so just a lot to look at there. Uh, a lot yeah. of, a lot of things again, that, that might seem odd to us, but, uh, but we'll, we'll see that God's grace is in it. When Abraham went out and looked early in the morning, there was no answer that God gave him for what he saw. He only saw that it was all destroyed with smoke rising up from the place where it all was like a furnace. And that's it. You know, and God didn't tell Abraham like, Hey, don't worry. You know, I spared lot and his daughters, you know, just so you know, 
and Abraham's perception, he may have even thought like Lot's gone and his daughters. Um, and it is, I, I might be remembering wrong. I might, I might be missing something, but I think this is about where the story of Lot ends, you know, and we don't really see Lot again. And so that's just, it's just interesting that it doesn't seem like Abraham reconnects with Lot. Abraham doesn't know what happened to Lot. All Abraham knows is God said if there were 10 righteous people, he would spare the city and the city's gone. And God trusts that Abraham is able to work through that grief, whatever that grief may be. It's interesting. Well, the, the awful and weird outcome of his, you know, the his daughter's relations with him uh, end up ends up basically creating peoples for the Israelites to fight later on and uh or to be enslaved by right uh it's just 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 crazy crazy stuff going on there You know, one of the things that we need to see, of course, when we see the word angel, we have to associate the word messenger, because it's literally what we're talking about. We're talking about messengers. These messengers came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Lot Lot meets them, and he says, here, you know, let let me extend my hospitality to you. Um interesting thing to kind of lead off with here these messengers came to deliver this message to lot get out of the city it's going to be destroyed mm-hmm. um before we recorded of course uh brian you mentioned uh i believe it's second peter two and uh well we could start the thought in verse four for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood of the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the witch. Well, excuse me oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds and he goes on he talks about then the lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. Really, this passage fits completely and totally with what we're talking about on multiple levels, of course. Uh, the most obvious being that we see Sodom and Gomorrah literally being mentioned and the fact that they were turned into ashes, and the fact that they are an example of those who would afterward who would live ungodly, um, you know, 
it's a contrast here, and it's interesting that we do see Abraham here. Even before you, uh, before you mentioned Abraham a few minutes ago, Brian, I had completely forgotten that Abraham is even in this chapter. Because um, every time I read this chapter, I'm so overwhelmed with the image of Sodom and Gomorrah and just how evil it all is. Mm. Um, right. But Abraham's there. And, and I can't help but see at this point a contrast because Abraham is the one who's being put forward in the New Testament as an example for the righteous. And say, you know, Abraham was this one who had this covenant with God. And if you embrace the covenant that Jesus has secured through his blood, you can be a part of that. You can be in that same inheritance and be a part of the inheritance that was promised to Abraham. Uh, you know, Abraham's children basically spiritually is what the promise is. And yet, and, and, and then Sodom and Gomorrah come up so often in the scriptures. You look all the way through, um, you know, you've had, you have some things to mention there, uh, Brian, don't you? Just a couple of, uh, passages from Ezekiel, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I guess one to start with would, I guess, be Ezekiel sixteen forty-eight through 50. Um, sometimes this scripture is used to say that, you know, the problem or sin in Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, was not related to homosexual practices. And um, this passage does show that there were actually many more sins <laughs> involved in what was going on in Sodom. Um, but verse 49 says, look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. And they were haughty and committed abominate committed abomination before me therefore i took them away as i saw fit you know and that's exactly like romans chapter one where it mentions that the beginning of falling away from god is to fail to honor god as god or give him thanks so really these qualities are at the heart of all sin and are at the heart of other practices that come out of this same pride uh the feeling of ease and the feeling of um, superiority and selfishness, which leads to the abuse of natural functions of the body. Um, and like you were saying earlier, I think at the beginning of uh, the episode, just how impulsive the people of Sodom were. It was all about pleasure. And I think really the, the pride and the fullness of food and the abundance and not caring for the poor and the needy, that really that what that leads into is a very impulsive and pleasure-oriented decision-making process. Uh, and I think that's what we see in, in, in Sodom, um, obviously. Uh, but what, I guess, do you have any thoughts on that, Steve, in that verse? Oh, I mean, I, I would be in full agreement there. Um, you know, what else do these men mean when they're wanting to know these angels carnally? Or I know, I know the word carnally. Uh, the word carnally in my translation is italicized, which means that the translators added that word. But everywhere else that you see, you know, and Adam knew his wife Eve, right? We've already seen that in in, in Genesis that 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 is an intimate action, okay? And so. We don't have to do these big hoops to try to see that this is a this is a homosexuality issue, but as you say, Bryant, homosexuality is just a manifestation of these core problems. 
uh, you know, that can manifest in multiple different ways. Selfishness can, can, can manifest in, uh, just simply hating and mistreating somebody. Um, and so it just depends on, you know, the fact that we see in, in, in here, this is the fullest extent of, uh, really, I think, and maybe this gets into application, but really it gets into this instant gratification mentality that we are right. surrounded by today. Um, but you know, Sodom, Sodom is, is used, uh, multiple times and probably one of the most scathing things that I've ever seen. Mm. Uh, one of the most scathing passages toward, uh, toward Israel is in Isaiah chapter one, where mm. he is addressing mm. Israel and he's saying in Isaiah chapter one and verse 10, hear the word. Actually, let me back up into verse nine. Because he says there, unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. He's talking to Israel. He's talking specifically, I would say, to Judah in the sense that they had gone aside, that they weren't in that right place with God. And what's interesting there, too in that passage is, unless I have something wrong, there were some good kings that were ruling in the time of Isaiah, but the people were still so sinful and so uh, centered on the things that they wanted. Even with someone good in power, they weren't changing in those big ways. Uh, there only was this remnant that was truly following God. And, uh, so Sodom and Gomorrah is always brought up in the scriptures as an example of this is what happens. And I think that's the purpose of this story, that we can look back at it and, and, and see these things. Um, so righteous Lot, as we mentioned in Second in Peter 2, he's called righteous Lot. He's, he's called a righteous man that... Dwelling among him, it tormented his soul from day to day, seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Bryant, I'm not sure that it really looks like that. If if all we had was Genesis, I'm not sure I would really have that idea about Lot. Hmm. That actually makes me really thankful um, for passages like Second Peter. Um, so I worked at UPS for uh, a while before moving to Savannah. And... Um, the facility that I uh, worked at for a while in Alabama was a pretty harsh environment. It was really, really difficult. Um, and it felt like I was being tormented <laughs> day after day in a lot of ways just because of the environment I was working in. You know, and Stephen, we were both in Alabama at that time, right? And working there actually helped me appreciate <laughs> this this verse. And I actually, I enjoyed working there. Uh, so I don't mean to say that, you know, it's like, you know, it's not to say I, I didn't enjoy working there. Um, but one thing that it helped me appreciate when I was there is it was just, it was really hard to be there. And I was really only there for about five hours, six hours a day usually. And it was a part-time job, just Monday through Friday. Didn't work Saturdays or Sundays, but it affected me a lot to be there, uh, a whole lot. And that's with a Bible, that's with a church that I met with regularly. That's being surrounded by brethren like yourself at that time who were meeting with me regularly. We were having Bible studies. Yet even with all of that, that environment really affected me a lot. 
and it was it was just so hard to be there even for five hours. Lot was here every day, all day, and it seems like he was in a position of uh, he was integrate. I mean, he was like way inside their structure. You know, he wasn't just yeah. on the out. I mean, he was in the city and he was in some kind of judgment seat. Um, so it's, I mean, it's, last it's, time last time we saw him, he was he had uh, you know he had made his tent towards Sodom, right? And, and then he and, got deep in, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so with with all of that though, I, I think I'm thankful for Second Peter. Uh, and the insight we're given there because God really searches deeply for righteousness. Kind of like Genesis 15 verse 6, Abraham believed God and God reckoned it to him for righteousness. And it's not until Romans 4 that God reflects back on that and says, let me tell you in more detail what I saw mm-hmm. when he believed me. And I think that's like with Lot. And it gives me so much encouragement because when I really struggled at UPS, and I would think about Lot, and I would think, you know what? I'm struggling so bad, but God knows this struggle. God cares mm-hmm. about this struggle, and even even if I uh, if if I sin, if I if I come to my senses and I repent urgently, and I I strive to confess that to God and make it right, you know, God's not just throwing me away because I'm oppressed in an environment, and and just help me appreciate how much God cares and it helped me relate to Lot. And I guess one thing on that too, verse nine, where they said that he keeps acting as a judge. I think it's so noble that that's the accusation against Lot. When clearly in the first few verses with the hospitality, he shows the angels, he is clearly yearning for kindness, yearning to exercise Mm -hmm. kindness. And Mm -hmm. yet their accusation against Lot is he keeps acting as a judge, meaning he's correcting them. Wow, you know, I I, I got to leap on that because I mean, what's Do what's it, yeah. the big charge that happens when you try to bring up uh, right the truth of scripture? Right, you know, stop judging, stop being a judge. You know, who made right. you a judge? Exactly, exactly. You know? No, we're not the Lot's not even the judge here. Lots, lots saying, you know, don't do this. This is not the right thing to do. And, you know, and he, he is pleading for grace on their part. Right. But, but, you know, when you abandon that, when you, when you begin to serve yourself, there's no room for grace, no room for mercy. Yep. Um, and I think it's interesting, you know, with that, the outcry against the city was great before God. I mean, who is outcrying to God against the city? <laughs> I think it's, it's Lot. <laughs> And it wow. shows how much yeah. God cared about Lot's voice in that city. Right. Lot may have felt alone, isolated, abandoned, but yet God heard his cry. And the cry of that one man was sufficient to destroy the whole city to protect and deliver him. I think that's just amazing. That's incredible. Yeah. You know, how much God loves one man to do that. And that's the thing. Like, uh, you mentioned it before we recorded, and I think this is true, that you know, Lot is one of those figures in the Old Testament that we can be very harsh about, be very harsh yeah, with. Right. Um, I remember, yeah. you know, one time I uh, preached a lesson and I took a note on, you know, King Hezekiah uh, down the road in in the King of Judah. Uh, the Lord lets him live. What is it, ten or fifteen more years extra from this sickness? Yeah, fifteen. Yeah. Um, I can't really remember all the details, but. He, he he heard this and he was like, 
well, this is great, you know, but, but I mean, in the, in the span of that news, he was telling me, you know, your, your children are going to be suffering. Your children are going to be evil basically is what, what God is putting across to him. But he's saying, well, good. The Lord has blessed me in this time. You know, let it, let it be as the Lord says. (laughs) And, And it's, you know, on the one hand, you can look at that in a very harsh way. And that's, that's how I was, how I was doing in this lesson, but a brother, thankfully, helped, you know, help me think about that. You know, don't be so rough on Hezekiah. You know, he had already had uh, a, a long life of, of good service to the Lord. And so, um, you know, we, we have to be careful when we look at these Old Testament figures um, and, and, and try to see through God's eyes. And thankfully, we have this great insight <clears throat> in the New Testament about Lot. Uh, even though we seem to just sort of leave him behind here and we move on in the story, um, we we know that there's a bigger thing that God is 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 leaving here that later on we can go back and see because there are going to be situations like that. You know, people talk about uh, how hard it might be to be a preacher, but you know, by and large, um, I really think it's much harder to be uh, just a you know a, a Christian who's working in a job where maybe their boss is cussing up and down all day, uh, you know, situations where really they can't do very much to change things except be the example that they need to be. And uh, maybe there are some other lessons there. Maybe there, there's a job change that needs to happen. That's a whole other thing. But, you know, by and large, I, I mentioned preachers, by and large, we're sort of insulated uh, most of the people we spend time with are either people going to be who are going to be interested in Bible study or among Christians themselves. Uh, so uh, we really have a lot of grace on, on, on that point. But um, but you know there are going to be times that you're going to feel surrounded, and even in the sense of, I mean maybe maybe I feel like the most I could hurl at Lot is well you know get out of the city as quickly as he, as you can. And sometimes it seems like he's dragging his feet, but you know what? I don't know what, what all he had to deal with. Um, but at the very least he ends up going, even though the angels have to sort of maybe even drag him out. Uh, he, he's ultimately obedient to the Lord. Yeah. I think, I think there's a few interesting things with the ways the angels interact with lot that show how special lot was to God in encouraging ways. Like, don't you think it's interesting that when Lot offers his two daughters that the angels don't like reel back in disgust and be like, ugh, gross. Like, man, you die with the city. Like, <laughs> like they don't even, they don't even acknowledge it. Like they're like, yeah, you know, and I just imagine they're broken hearts. Like this is so grievous that this precious soul to God has been so hurt by sin that he's willing to do this. I mean, you can see that yeah. Lot and this moment got pushed to the end of the line and the angels of the Lord drew a line there and said, no, no further. We will not let the wicked ensnare the righteous anymore. You know, and, and that mm. just encourages me so much. God knows the boundaries of protection that he has on us and, and how far he's willing to let us get pushed. And I think it shows too that God has compassion on the ways that living in a world that is full of sin, he has compassion on the effect that that has on those who are trying to do the right thing. And I think about how that gives me confidence to trust him 
and to love him. Uh, like I think about Hebrews uh, chapter four specifically where it talks about how and we can we can draw near to the throne of grace to find help in times of weakness knowing that he's willing to give us that help and that he he can sympathize he can sympathize with us because he himself has also been through the torment of living in this world being surrounded by unrighteousness so i think i think i just think the response to lot doing something that you know it's so easy for me to look at and be like wow that is just putrid and just disgusting but then it's like, well, what about my sin? You know, is, is my sin not putrid and disgusting? Am I not willing to throw God away like garbage when I choose to sin, knowing what I'm doing? You know, so, you know, I really, I really have to just kind of slow down and be careful, like you were saying. Um, I don't know, do you have any thoughts on, on that? Well, uh, not specifically, but I did want to bring up, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned a lot almost in a, uh, uh, type of Christ role in mm. this story, right? Almost yeah, a messianic right, role. Yeah. Uh, this is before we were recording. So why don't you yeah, go into that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a really, really okay, so everything in the Bible is so rich because of everything's tied to Christ. And sometimes those ties you notice them in kind of in a surprising way sometimes and so in this story uh in verse five through eight when lot was willing to give his daughters up you just sometimes you just have to kind of think through the scene and then sometimes what pops in your mind is wait a minute that that sounds like what god has done in christ so lot he says that he had brought them under the shadow of his roof in verse eight and I think that's interesting because there's other times in scripture where under the shadow of God's wing is, is what it's referred to. We are finding our shelter in lot was willing to forsake his pure children to this wicked mob of people in order to protect these strangers. God, the father was willing to send out his innocent, pure son, his only son. And he was willing to forsake his son out to an angry mob of evil, disgusting people so that he could put strangers in his house and protect them and keep them there. And what's amazing is if what Lot did is morbid and ridiculous, well, then what God has done is all the more ridiculous. How can God send his only son. Lot had these two daughters. God just had one, one, one son. And these strangers were aliens. Or they were aliens, but they were also angels, right? So it's like, oh, wow, yeah, I can understand. Whereas the strangers God is bringing in are just as disgusting as the men outside, you know? And so everything is amplified in God's example. And so everything that Lot did that seems so wrong is turned on its head with God. And if what Lot did seems so ridiculous, then it should actually make what God has done for us even more amazing. Yeah, very well said. I, I think there's a lot to to think about there. At, at the end of the day, we can see that God is providing this protection, and you know, and and, and again with 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 Lot getting out of the city. I mean, I'm reminded of the fact that. There's the promise that Jesus has in, you know, in the prophecy concerning the destruction of Jerusalem. Mm. The fact that, you know, 
when you see this, when you see the abomination of desolation, get out of the city is basically what he's warning them. And of course, Josephus uh, records that there were no Christians in Jerusalem when it was destroyed. I know Josephus is a historian. He's not an uh, uh, inspired author. But at the same time, there's a similarity there. There's a general aspect where we can see and appreciate that God will provide for his faithful. And if we plug in Second Peter with this, we understand that, that Lot was righteous. And I think even from that standpoint, too, what happens with his daughters, it seems like he is a pawn in this whole thing. It really seems like he is just being, um, you know, now, I, obviously, he would have been responsible for taking that drink of wine. <laughs> you know, we get that. Um but uh, but it really seems like this is their plot that they're trying to push on him. Now, maybe I'm not seeing that right. But, uh, but at any rate, we need to be looking at this in a whole aspect that even though you've got these wrong things going on, uh, we can appreciate that, uh, you know, that, that ultimately this all worked out uh, in a way that really shows us it gives us something to look back at and learn from yeah and actually one more thing on that note too with the the angels you know and and i'm sure there's just so many things with the way because everything is so amazing the way the angels interacted with lot but here's one surprising thing for me it's this this to me is is surprising verse 11 they struck the men at the doorway of the house with blindness well, in verse verse 13, they say, we're going to destroy the place. So why not just kill everybody? <laughs> like, why not just kill everyone at the doorway mm. or, like, strike them dead? Mm. Uh, mm. It just seems kind of like, why not just get to the point? You know, if you're going to kill them all anyway, I mean, why, why, why go through the trouble of blinding them? But I think here's what, what's surprising. Just this is my my opinion on this, for whatever it's worth. That they were struck blind for Lot's sake. Lot was clearly mm-hmm. in a fragile state of mind here. And you think about, for instance, if the disciples had seen Jesus pronounce a curse on someone and they just they just get blown out of existence or they just drop dead, how much that would change their perception of God. Now, God did destroy the city. So, I mean, you still have, you know, people being obliterated. But I think in the circumstance, the fact that God struck the men with blindness to get Lot to think through the situation and to have him reason through what was happening and make decisions that were logical and good and based on the truth of what he was being told and just how gentle God was with Lot to help him to work through that in the right way and to not shock him unnecessarily or um, make him make him see God in a way that would not have helped him to be drawn to obey through the circumstance, I mm. think is interesting. So, so it's it's a small thing that, you know, again, you, you get so used to the story, like, yeah, he struck him blind and they got out of the house, but but again, I think it's a valid question. Why not just strike them dead and just get it over with? Well, I think it's because Lot was still there and Lot needed to think through things. 
even even in this the face of destruction god's mercy and grace are evident right yes in in Amen. every aspect yep. and and so we can appreciate yep. that and we can see that and yep. uh so yeah just overall that is a universal thing and even though we we have this situation where someone is set up uh, this this town these towns of Sodom and Gomorrah are set up as examples of the ungodly for the rest of scripture at the same time here we have Lot we have his uncle Abraham and they're being lifted up as examples of righteous men who served God and who loved God and who wanted to do the right thing. Um, that's always, always going to be uh, an idea that is in conflict with the world. The righteous will always be uh, necessarily against those who are wicked. Not because they necessarily want to be, but because that's going to be what the reaction of the wicked is. So what does this all mean for us? That's what we want to look at in this final segment. Um, you know, when God is telling you something, and uh, of course I hope in the context of the show, if you've been listening to the show long enough, you hopefully know what we mean by that. When you study the Bible, you read it, and you understand that this is the will of God for my life. It's something that you read, something that you understand. You know, God wants me to, for example, uh, be an encouragement to others to serve him. Um, God wants me to uh, find a local group of saints to worship him with. Um, God wants me to go out and make disciples of others so that they also can be serving him. Um, whenever we see that, we've got to pay attention, and we have to be receiving that message. The scriptures are all about receiving the message of God with with thankfulness and kindness and and gentleness, and and, and receiving in a sense not that you're receiving a pass like in a football game, but that you're re- you're welcoming it. You're saying this is what I want, and Lot did welcome the messengers. Lot welcomed them. He wanted to do do well. And of course, they're saying no. We'll we'll spend the night in the open square. But he insists about this this uh, factor of hospitality. Um, we have to know. We have to understand that we are surrounded by a culture and a society that generally steers clear of many of the aspects of hospitality that the Bible shows to be so praiseworthy and honorable. And at the same time, we want to go back and, and understand that we are facing a world that says, don't judge me. Um, I have my truth. You have you have your truth. Let's leave each other alone. Uh, it also says whatever you want to do, whatever desire you want to, to partake in, go for it. All you have is this life uh, at any rate. That's what the belief is. Um, and so why not? 
why not take on any kind of joy or pleasure or desire that you might have? Of course, there are some serious problems with that because the same people that might say take on any desire you might have would agree that we can't have people uh, going into public places and shooting people, for example. But, you know, if you want to embrace this idea that everyone ought to be able to do whatever they want to do, then I'm sorry, friend, you should not have any problem with the idea of someone killing another person. Uh, Maybe that's a rather harsh way of putting it. But I think, again, that's what we see with the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. They're embracing any kind of desire that they have. And once you have tapped into that mindset, um, there's really no holding you back. I just think that's a that's a great point of application from this. You know, God, uh, in Genesis chapter 4, when Cain uh, was angry with his brother and was at the brink of giving in to his impulse. You know, the, the, the temptation was there. God saw that the pressure for that passion rising. And he said, uh, if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and it's desirous for you, but you should rule over it. You know, a part of the glory of God's character that he grants us in godliness uh, and delivers us into um, in Christ is the ability to have control, you know, self-control. And um, anybody who's repented from uh, habitual sins or sins that, um, you know, they, they were just uh, completely engaged in maybe without really realizing um, that those things were against God. You know, if, if they've submitted to the will of God and escaped those things, you know, they, they recognize that there, there were some um, strong impulses that they needed God's help to overcome and that God is able to help them to overcome. And so the, the amazing thing is just like you said, Stephen, um, Israel was referred to as Sodom, but God's able to convert that Sodom into the church. Mm. It's that same nation that he ended up raising his son in and converting them. Uh, those who are of faith, converting them to his son you know, so God's God's able to bring us from being a people who are just completely given to our lusts. And his son, Jesus, is so powerful that he's able to not destroy us with fire and brimstone from heaven, but from the inside of our being, change us completely into the image of his glory. Uh, and that that's just, that's amazing to see that, you know, to see that we who lived in sin were ourselves like Sodom and just as hopeless. Uh, Ephesians 1, 3 says, you know, children who are destined for wrath, even as the rest. Um, so I think, I think that's a great point, you know, that God, uh, godliness demands controlling our passions and that God is able to help us with that. And the way out, as you say, is, is Christ. Mm. Um, and, and it's right. How sad is it? I mean, in Luke 10, when Jesus is sending out his apostles in what we call the limited commission, in Luke 10 and verse 10, he says, Whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, The very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know mm-hmm. this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. 
and what does that mean i mean it it, it if we really read into that statement we understand why is it more tolerable for sodom in the day of judgment than for that city well because that city was so near to the kingdom mm. in in the sense that here you have the messiah himself sending his chosen men the apostles to come and to preach to you the message of righteousness the message of the gospel the message of the kingdom of god and it's coming um and and you have that and yet you rejected it and that's even there that's a place where we can look at sodom in this way to recognize you know what they didn't have jesus preaching to them they didn't have miracles being shown to them uh, the old, closest we get is that blindness but i mean you know th- that doesn't make any difference to them and and, and people who have tied into this mindset that's against god no miracle is going to change that um it, it, it's it's at the end of the day the fact that we have to understand that that there is a god that loves us and that cares for us and it doesn't have to be this way uh we don't have to be locked into this mindset and this life that really is a sad life um you know one of the things that we've mentioned in terms of homosexuality uh, in this passage, you know, one of those, the, in terms of the manifestation of, of homosexuality from these sins, of, uh, these ideas of selfishness, um, you know, homosexuality is a very sad life. It's not a life that is fulfilling from what I can see and understand about the ways that, uh, the ways that homosexuals live. Uh, you may have as many as, you know, uh, some have as many of it as a thousand partners in their lifetime, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's a lifetime, it's a lifestyle that really d- brings no fulfillment, no true fulfillment. And, and it is a self-centered mindset. Um, now again, I'm not what people would call, uh, a well-traveled or, you know, uh, I haven't been around the world. I haven't talked to thousands of people, but I will say that every, Every person that I've met that has been a homosexual has, by and large, been someone that has just come across to me uh, in a very self-centered way, very focused on themselves. And uh, if you don't have any kind of way to get back to what they're doing or what they're pushing for, things like that, um, you're not really going to have much of a relationship there. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's a sin just like any other sin. And God, you know, if you're if you're listening to this podcast and you you're in that persuasion, if if that's your lifestyle, we want to tell you that God loves you, um, but that what you're what you're involved in is sin, and that needs to change. And just like all of our sins uh, that we that we face every day, all of our uh, all of the temptations that we undergo, there are ways to resist it. And uh, we certainly want to pray and hope that that you think about that, uh, because God chose this these cities for a reason. And the most obvious thing we see is that here are these strangers that come into town, and they push and they push to have these sexual relations with these strangers. And uh, you know, just a lot of things for us to really be thinking of. And, you know, another thing I want to mention there too. And uh, if if 
I find myself as someone who does believe, you know, the truth concerning homosexuality, but maybe I'm not believing it for the right reason. Maybe homosexuality is something that disgusts me, and I just I'm not comfortable with it, and so I'm just going to oppose it. And I find some Bible verses to kind of go along with that idea, so I'm going to use those Bible verses to support my position. And I'm going to go out and uh, you know pick it against homosexuality or something like that. I'm not sure that's a uh, position born out of conviction, a real biblical conviction. Um, I, I think we have to have our conviction from Scripture and hate the things that God hates simply because God hates them and not because we have some personal agenda. And so I want to say that too. We're not saying what we're saying here in this podcast concerning homosexuality because we have some experience or some personal vendetta or anything like that. Nothing personal about this whatsoever. Um, but, but we do want to emphasize what we see God emphasizing in the scriptures. And we're seeing all these things in this chapter that are wrong, that are off, that we need to avoid. But we need to remember that there is a God who loves us and who just doesn't want us to live this way, uh, that there's a better way to live. Well, I guess kind of related to that, uh, there's another verse in Ezekiel in chapter 23 of Ezekiel, verse 19 through 21. And um, kind of in the spirit of Genesis 19 and Sodom and Gomorrah, these verses are actually kind of gross. Um, but sometimes God gives us pictures of things that are gross because it, it is gross and it needs to be seen as gross and we need to be disgusted. Uh, so I'll read these verses. It says, and this is, this is talking about Israel at a much later time down the line in God's history and dealing with, you know, his covenant with Abraham. Uh, Ezekiel 23 is being spoken when he was on the brink of destroying them just like he destroyed Sodom. And so he's he's recounting that. And he says, Yet she multiplied her harlotry in calling to remembrance the days of her youth when she had played the harlot in the land of Egypt. For she lusted for her paramours whose flesh is like the flesh of donkeys and whose issue is like the issue of horses. Thus you called to remember the lewdness of your youth when the Egyptians pressed your bosom because of your youthful breasts. So there's another uh, another mention of them remembering their past in Ezekiel 36:31. He says, "Then, and this is after he's dealt with them and disciplined them, and then eventually brought them back after humbling them." says, then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. So just something with this, when Israel looked back on their past, their past that God had told them that he was trying to bring them out of and deliver them from, they saw what they were delivered out of as something to be desired. You know, they, they wanted to go back and they, they, their impulses led them back there. You know, I think about Lot's wife, uh, you know, she looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. And I think she, she shared in this heart that really she, she looked at, at Sodom with, with, with fervent desire. You know, that's, that's where her heart really was, was in that city. 
and it wasn't wasn't at all with God. And I think kind of an application of what we've been talking about is, you know, we we can't have fellowship with God and we can't think we can be with him forever if we don't learn to share his perspective of sin uh, and we're not truly converted to the Lord when he speaks so strongly against sin and its effects and its consequences and yet I still look fondly on things that relate to this world or things that are blatantly sinful against God um, it's not until I'm truly ashamed and loathe those things that I can begin to have God's perspective as I ought to. Um, and I think that's 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 why we have examples like Sodom, just the the strength of God's response against that city and how he destroyed that city so completely just shows just complete disgust with the kind of people they had become. Um, and so we need to learn to be disgusted by sin and we need to not take God's judgments lightly. Um, everyone around Lot thought God was joking around and that it was all just a bunch of silliness and foolishness. But you know, what was really foolish was thinking that Lot was not telling the truth. Um, so, so God is to be feared and he's not, he's not a fool who's fooled by our sin and uh, we will face God, and we're going to face God and give an account for how we've chosen to live our lives. And, and so the, the call of Scripture is, see the examples of those who fell, uh, see how God has dealt with the unrighteous in the past, and repent, change, be reformed, and do it on the basis of seeing that God is seeking actively to forgive us. Yeah, I don't think it gets much more obvious than brimstone and fire being rained down upon a city yeah (laughs) you know you can't get more obvious a connection than that and you know for example in revelation the second death being talked about as a lake of fire and brimstone or uh in you know mark chapter nine where the worm does not die and the fire is Mm -hmm. not quenched Mm -hmm. and yes i know that there was a place outside of jerusalem called gehenna where they would uh go and burn their trash but you know what? God is using that as a picture for the reality. Right. And uh, and what that basically is, is, is a complete and total separation from God. God is not there. God's going to be in heaven with his faithful. And right. the scariest part of that is that God will allow us to go there. Right. Um, God doesn't push us there. God doesn't manipulate us into... You know, accidentally going there, and he doesn't even he does not enjoy uh, us going there. Um, he says in Ezekiel, "I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked should turn and live." I believe that's uh, Ezekiel eighteen. And so, um, you know, there's just a lot of things for us to to learn uh, from just this chapter. But most of all, I think really it just kind of keeps coming back to me. Uh, maybe this is just something that that I need to be working on in my life right now is just this idea of restraint and mm-hmm. this idea of self-control right. yeah. and how it goes back to those aspects that, you know, God, again, you know, you've mentioned Bryant, we've talked about on the show before, God controls himself. Um, again, he could have wiped out so many more people <laughs> than Sodom and Gomorrah. 
uh, you know, why does he wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah and then afterward not wipe out uh, Lot's daughters for what they do or Lot himself for what he's a part of there? Um, you know, I'm not going to say, well, that's just the ways of God and God's mysterious. I'm going to say that God chooses the ways that he shows his grace and his mm-hmm. mercy. Right. And he chooses when he's going to save and when he's when he's not. Um, and, and, and again, I'm not getting into a Calvinist aspect there, but I am saying that uh, he is sovereign and he's going to do what's right. He is the righteous judge. And uh, so a lot of interesting things for us to think about. Let's remember to consider that aspect of self-control. Let's also remember, you know, Lot as, as, you know, again, not to harp on him because the Bible does call him righteous Lot, but he wouldn't have been in this situation if he hadn't gone the direction that he went. And, uh, so that's just another aspect to think about. How close are we going to get to sin before we actually become a part of it? Um, we have to make those borders very clear. Yeah, just kind of, I guess, one quick thing on that point is Second Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul is exhorting the Corinthians because of their being influenced in uh, the direction of, of sin and pride by teachers, it seems, who were influencing them in that direction. He says, come out from among them. Be separate. Mm-hmm. And he says, God's promise is that he'll dwell with, with you when you come out from among them. And it's not that you get out of the world and, you know, are no longer, uh, you know, present physically in the world, but it is that the presence of the world is no longer in your heart and that you no longer are drawn to mm-hmm. the things of the world in your heart or in your mind. You know, it's the the principle of being in the world, but not at all of the world and not at all pursuing the things of the world. And so that that, that is something that, that is so serious to consider mm-hmm. is we do need to be separate from the influences of the world. We got to realize that at some point, Lot did have to come out of that city and needed to be completely separated. And God can help us do that just as he helped yep. Lot. Yep, yep. Many good things for us to consider. Well, we're thankful for you listening uh, today. We hope that this has been useful for you. Next time, Lord willing, we'll be dealing with Genesis chapter 20. Until then, study well and be lights to his glory. The music on this podcast is provided courtesy of Symphonia. Visit their website at symphonia.com. Walking Through the Book is created and promoted with the support of the North Columbus Church of Christ in Columbus, Mississippi. Find out more at northcolumbuschristians.com. The website of the Garden City Church of Christ in Savannah, Georgia is gardencitycoc.org.